Welcome to Standard of Care, the show where we pull up the black turtlenecks and show you the real life working in a design firm. We hope to explore the daily life of design professionals such as architects, interior designers, engineers, graphic designers, web designers, and so on. We want to investigate the value they bring to the creative projects in the world. Behind every creative output is a story that we would like to explore and discover how it came to be. Um, I'm Sinan. And I'm Jefferson. And this is Standard of Care. Welcome back. On today's episode, we will be covering Article 5, Owner's Responsibilities. Let's jump in. Article 5. So, um, Owner's Responsibilities, this is covering what the owner must give to you in order for you to... um, do your work successfully as well as um you know other other uh information and um consultants they may be providing uh anything along those lines that the owner owes to you um the owner shall also indemnify uh, uh indemnify you well Let's get to that later. The owner shall identify a representative authorized act on the owner's behalf if it's not the owner themselves. Um, with respect to the project, the owner will also um, uh, make decisions and approve the architect's submittals in a timely manner in order to avoid unreasonable delays. Sometimes you can even... Um, specify a certain amount of time that they would have for that. So it could even be like the owner has uh, five business days to respond unless uh, discussed otherwise on a case-by-case basis, something along those lines. Um, We're just checking right along. 5.4. The owner must provide to you the physical characteristics of the site Uh, legal limitations, utility locations, um, the survey property line locations, any easements that, that they know about any, anything, any and all information, um, pertaining to the site where the project is to be located such that you can, um, provide accurate, uh, documentation to that effect. And, um, um, prepare your instruments of service, aka your drawings. Um, this includes all all of the things, uh, including grade lines, uh, streets, alleys, pavement, uh, adjoining property and structures, any uh, protected wetlands, any drainage rights of ways, restrictions, easements, encroachments, yada yada yada. This five point four lists all of these things. Um, and it should be surveyed at the expense of the owner and referenced in uh, uh, by the project and provided to you. Um, the owner shall furnish services, this is 5.5, of geotechnical engineers, which include test borings, test pits, determinations of soil bearing values, yada, 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 to help you, again, design the structure for the site itself. The owner shall provide supplemental services, um, as we talked about in Article 4, um, 
And again, it, it identifies uh, any sustainable objectives that um, might require E204 uh, exhibit. So the owner has to provide to you their objectives for the sustainable um, project exhibit worksheet. 5.8, the owner shall coordinate the services of its own consultants with those services by the architect. This is sometimes the civil engineer, geotechnical engineer, those things that the owner is responsible for coordination of those unless you guys agree otherwise. Um, and upon the architect's request, the owner shall furnish copies of those services and the contracts between the owner and the consultant so that the architect can fully understand what they're responsible for. Um, and designate responsibility of the architect in the agreement. So the agreements with the, the other consultants have to outline the responsibilities of the architect as well. And or authorize the architect to furnish them as ad service. Um, the owner shall provide its consultants and contractors uh, shall require that its consultants and contractors maintain insurance, professional liability, all the things uh, appropriate to the services of the work provided by those consultants. 5.9, the owner shall furnish test inspections reports that are required by law or in the contract documents, such as structural, mechanical, and chemical tests, uh, tests for air and water pollution, and tests for hazardous materials, uh, most typically here in the US, this would be um, you know, asbestos testing. Uh, at no point in time is the architect responsible for handling, testing, um, removal, disposal of hazardous materials. So that should always be included in, in your list of exclusions. 5.10, the owner shall furnish all legal insurance and accounting services, including auditing, that may be necessary at any time for the project to meet the owner's needs and interests. Again, to to show that the owner um, is operating legally, um, you know, and has the funds to do the project. The owner must maintain those things. Five point eleven. The owner shall provide prompt written notice to the architect if the owner becomes aware of any fault or defect in the project, including errors, omissions, or inconsistencies in the architect's instruments of service. So basically, if the owner becomes aware of any fault or defect, um, they must notify the architect um, in order for the architect to rectify those or explain those and to avoid um, them going on unnoticed uh, and eventually potentially leading to a lawsuit. Um, this this uh, section is also included in the A101 such that the contractor must provide prompt written notice to the architect if they become aware of fault or defect in the project. Um, also let us know if you'd like to hear uh, me go through in detail like this for the A101, which is the owner uh, contractor agreement. Um, anyway, let's keep going. 5.12, the owner shall include the architect with all communications with the contractor. So um, 
This is basically you need to know what the owner and contractor are talking about and what the owner's authorizing, what the contractor's asking about so that you're aware of all the information so that you can um, keep your instruments of service up to date so that you know of any uh, changes that are happening that may materially affect um, you know, the cost or the scope of your work or anything along those lines. This is an important part to, to be able to talk to. Here is um, is knowing what is being communicated between the owner and the contractor. 5.13, um, before executing the contract for construction, the owner shall coordinate the architect's duties and responsibilities as outlined in this agreement. Um, the owner shall provide the architect a copy of the executed a101 hopefully but the agreement between the owner and the contractors and the owner contractor agreement um, typically does point back to the architect for some uh, responsibilities as well the owner shall provide the architect access to the project site this one's pretty straightforward basically as the architect you must be able to go on site in order to perform some of your duties, including site visits, for instance, um, as well as verification of um, on-site conditions that you may have questions about. 5.15, last one of Article 5. Within 50 days after receipt of written request of from the architect, the owner shall furnish the requested information as necessary and relevant for the architect to evaluate, give notice of, or enforce lien rights. So this one, should something go sour, as in you not get paid, um, you have to provide written notice to the owner, and they have, in this case, 15 days of receipt of the written request to furnish you with the requested information so that if required, you can um, file for a mechanics lien. Um, so this is included, obviously, just to help you, uh, give you a mechanism to request information that's pertinent to your lien and also, um, you know, gives you some, some teeth here in order to give you a right to lien as well. Okay, so that, that wraps up um, Article 5 of the owner's responsibilities. Um, the main takeaway here is the owner is required to give you access to the site, um, information about the site, and communications between them and the contractor. Those are kind of the high-level um, uh, takeaways from Article 5. Welcome back. On today's episode, we will be covering Article 5, Owner's Responsibilities. Let's jump in. Article 5, so um, Owner's Responsibilities, this is covering what the owner must give to you in order for you to um, do your work successfully, as well as, um, you know, other other uh, information and um, consultants they may be providing uh, anything along those lines that the owner owes to you. Um, 
the owner shall also indemnify uh, uh, indemnify you. Well, let's get to that later. The owner shall identify a representative authorized to act on the owner's behalf if it's not the owner themselves. Um, with respect to the project, the owner will also um, uh, make decisions and approve the architect's submittals in a timely manner in order to avoid unreasonable delays. Sometimes you can even um, specify a certain amount of time that they would have for that. So it could even be like the owner has uh, five business days to respond unless uh, discussed otherwise on a case-by-case basis, something along those lines. Um, We're just checking right along. 5.4. The owner must provide to you the physical characteristics of the site, uh, legal limitations, utility locations, um, the survey property line locations, any easements that that they know about, any any and all information um, pertaining to the site where the project is to be located such that you can um, provide accurate uh, documentation to that effect and um, um, prepare your instruments of service, AKA your drawings. this includes all all of the things, uh, including grade lines, uh, streets, alleys, pavement, uh, adjoining property and structures, any uh, protected wetlands, any drainage rights of ways, restrictions, easements, encroachments, yada yada yada. This 5.4 lists all of these things, um, and it should be surveyed at the expense of the owner and referenced in uh, uh, by the project and provided to you. Um, the owner shall furnish services, this is 5.5, of geotechnical engineers, which include test borings, test pits, determinations of soil bearing values, yada, 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 to help you, again, design the structure for the site itself. The owner shall provide supplemental services Um, as we talked about in article four. Um, And again, it it identifies uh, any sustainable objectives that um, might require E204 exhibit. So the owner has to provide to you their objectives for the sustainable um, project exhibit worksheet. 5.8. The owner shall coordinate the services of its own consultants with those services by the architect. This is sometimes the civil engineer, geotechnical engineer, those things that the owner is responsible for coordination of those unless you guys agree otherwise. Um, And upon the architect's request, the owner shall furnish copies of those services and the contracts between the owner and the consultant so that the architect can fully understand what they're responsible for. Um, and designate responsibility of the architect in the agreement. So the agreements with the the other consultants have to outline the responsibilities of the architect as well and or authorize the architect to furnish them as ad service. Um, The owner shall provide its consultants and contractors 
shall require that its consultants and contractors maintain insurance, professional liability, all the things uh, appropriate to the services of the work provided by those consultants. 5.9, the owner shall furnish test inspections reports that are required by law or in the contract documents, such as structural, mechanical, and chemical tests, uh, tests for air and water pollution, and tests for hazardous materials. Uh, most typically here in the U.S., this would be um, you know, asbestos testing. Uh, at no point in time is the architect responsible for handling, testing, um, removal, disposal of hazardous materials. So that should always be included in, in your list of exclusions. 5.10. The owner shall furnish all legal insurance and accounting services, including auditing, that may be necessary at any time for the project to meet the owner's needs and interests. Again, to, to show that the owner um, is operating legally, um, you know, and has the funds to do the project, the owner must maintain those things. 5.11, the owner shall provide prompt written notice to the architect if the owner becomes aware of any fault or defect in the project, including errors, omissions, or inconsistencies in the architect's instruments of service. So basically, if the owner becomes aware of any fault or defect, um, they must notify the architect um, in order for the architect to rectify those or explain those and to avoid um, them going on unnoticed uh, and eventually potentially leading to a lawsuit. Um, this this uh, section is also included in the A101 such that the contractor must provide prompt written notice to the architect if they become aware of fault or defect in the project. Um, also let us know if you'd like to hear uh, me go through in detail like this for the A101, which is the owner uh, contractor agreement. Um, anyway, let's keep going. 5.12, the owner shall include the architect with all communications with the contractor. So um, this is basically, you need to know what the owner and contractor are talking about and what the owner's authorizing, what the contractor's asking about, so that you're aware of all the information, so that you can um, keep your instruments of service up to date, so that you know of any uh, changes that are happening that may materially affect um, you know, the cost or the scope of your work or anything along those lines. This is an important part to, to be able to talk to. Here is... Um, is knowing what is being communicated between the owner and the contractor. 5.13, um, before executing the contract for construction, the owner shall coordinate the architect's duties and responsibilities as outlined in this agreement. Um, the owner shall provide the architect a copy of the executed a101, hopefully, but the agreement between the owner and the contractors and the owner contractor agreement um, typically does point back to the architect for some uh, responsibilities as well. 
owner shall provide the architect access to the project site. This one's pretty straightforward. Basically, as the architect, you must be able to go on site in order to perform some of your duties, including site visits, for instance, um, as well as verification of um, on site conditions that you may have questions about. 5.15. Last one of Article 5. Within 50 days after receipt of written request of from the architect, the owner shall furnish the requested information as necessary and relevant for the architect to evaluate, give notice of, or enforce lien rights. So this one, should something go sour, as in you not get paid, um, you have to provide written notice to the owner, and they have, in this case, 15 days of receipt of the written request to furnish you with the requested information so that if required, you can um, file for a mechanics lien. Um, so this is included obviously just to help you, uh, give you a mechanism to request information that's pertinent to your lien and also, um, you know, gives you some, some teeth here in order to give you a right to lien as well. Okay, so that, that wraps up um, Article 5 of the owner's responsibilities. Um, the main takeaway here is the owner is required to give you access to the site, um, information about the site, and communications between them and the contractor. Those are kind of the high-level um, uh, takeaways from Article 5. Okay, let's go on to the next section, which is Article 6, uh, Cost of Work. So this section overall um, pertains to the architect's responsibility to design to budget and schedule. So uh, this comes back to taking on a client. When you choose to take on a client, you will um, need to inquire about the, um, the work you know, can you design what they want to the owner's budget and their schedule? So that's that's what this section is related to, is their budget. Um, that is part of your responsibilities to the owner. Um, you should not take on a project if you do not think that the budget or the schedule are reasonable. Um, because it will default back to this section. Um, if at the, uh, time of bid, the bids do not come back at the, the budget, there are a few courses of action, um, as discussed in this article, um, specifically, um, 6.5 and 6.6, uh, explain what would happen next. Um, so the architect is required to make recommendations to the owner to adjust the project size, quality, or budget um, for the work um, to fit what was originally specified. Or uh, the owner can, as an alternative, if they want everything that has been designed and don't want to compromise on the quality of construction, then 
they can take one of the five listed courses of action listed under 6.6, which is the um, written approval, the, um, uh, sorry, they can give written approval to increase the budget. They can authorize rebidding or renegotiation of the product of the project within a reasonable amount of time. They can terminate the project if it's over their budget. And we'll get to how to terminate a project here shortly. That's in section 9.5. And they can consult with you, the architect, to revise the project program scope or quality as required to reduce the uh, cost of work um, uh, at no expense to them. or they can implement any other mutually acceptable alternative, which is accept some of the work and redesign uh, parts of it, um, anything along those lines. And if the owner chooses to proceed, this is 6.7, the architect shall modify the construction documents as necessary to comply with the owner's budget. And at the conclusion of the construction documents phase or budget, or the bid phase, um, if the owner requires the architect to modify the construction documents because the lowest um, complete bid or negotiation proposal exceeds the owner's budget, um, the architect could not reasonably anticipate the owner shall compensate the architect for modifications to the um, as ad service. So if, if it comes in over budget, and you could not reasonably anticipate that, then you could be compensated um, additional service. But if you should have known better, then you should not be charging them additional service. That's basically what um, Article 6 is saying. Let's move on to Article 8 which is claims and disputes. So um, if there arises a dispute between the owner and the architect, who then acts as the uh, initial decision maker? Um, And no, it is not the contractor. Um, Basically, Uh, The contractor is not held to uh, a professional um, standard of care that an architect is in order to maintain their license. And so they are not um, as trusted an entity as an architect. That's uh, the basic understanding that I have of it. Um, But of course, uh, it could exist a, a little bit differently Also, I don't think you want the contractor who may have an adversarial uh, relationship with you to reside over your um, dispute with the owner and the architect because they could um, take it out on you. Um, Not that they would, but there is uh, potentially a conflict of interest there. And this also gets into the um, statute of limitation that may be limited within your jurisdiction. Typically, your state will have a uh, um, statute of limitation. Otherwise, 
This contract attempts to limit it to no more than 10 years after substantial completion. Can a claim arise um, from from work that you've done? Um, 8.1.2, to the extent damages are covered by property insurance owner and architect waive all rights against each other, contractors, etc. Um, uh, so that's basically saying that if property insurance would pay for any damages, then the owner and architect will not sue each other um, in order to try and uh, cover um, basically double double dipping for property damage, where the insurance company would cover the damage. Um, you're, the owner and architect are not allowed to sue again to try and uh, recover additional money um, because the insurance should cover it all. 8.1.3, uh, the owner and architect waive consequential damages for claims, disputes, matters in question arising uh, out of or relating to this agreement. This mutual waiver is applicable without limitation to all consequential damages. So this is saying that uh, damages that are consequential or semi-related to um, the work are hereby waived mutually between the owner and architect. Um, those those may be um, uh, lost revenue from opening late um, or construction duration taking too long may be a consequential damage. Um, you know, something that is not directly related to, but but potentially tangential to the um, to the damages or uh, or claims or or whatever it is. Um, and this is mutually waiving those damages uh, of the architect and the owner. Okay, so the next the next couple of sections, um, you kind of get to choose choose your own path here. And I'll try and um, explain explain what I can as far as the um, benefits and potential shortfalls of each of these. First one being mediation is listed as 8.2. Um, this is is a condition before a binding resolution is made. This is basically informal discussions between the owner and architect to try and resolve these claims before escalating to something else. Um, and unless both parties agree otherwise, this is the first step the AIA suggests. And, um, you know, it is, it is good to keep it in there um, just to make you and the owner sit down and try and talk out the problem before it simply jumps to expensive litigation or potentially lopsided arbitration, which we'll talk about that next. Um, it does state here that parties shall share mediators fees if a professional mediator is is hired um, and it uh, the mediation will be held where the project is located. So if you're doing a project um, in another state or another country, um, 
this contract I don't think will work outside the country, but if you're doing it in, in another state, keep this in mind and you may want to modify this in your contract, but understand it for the ARE that the mediation is to be held where the project is located unless another location is agreed upon. Um, agreements reached in mediation shall be enforceable, uh, enforceable as settlement agreements in any court having jurisdiction thereof. So this is trying to make it binding, but um, as far as my legal team advises, it is not necessarily binding um, as much as an arbitration or obviously litigation might be. So 8.2.4 is also stating that if the parties do not resolve a dispute in mediation, then um, the dispute resolution will escalate to one of the following. Um, and then it gives you three checkboxes. Either it can go to arbitration, which we'll talk to, about that next, or litigation. Litigation is um, going to court um, or going to, um, you know, three three judges or or whatever uh the state's um jurisdictional um requirements are for litigation of construction defect law so um or or it gives you other uh i'm, un I'm unclear what other might be um I've, I've never had to use that but again it says to specify what what that would be if if there's something else um, all right, let's talk about arbitration, 8.3. If parties have selected arbitration, um, then they will share the cost of an arbitrator um, and it will be administered by the American Arbitration Association um, in accordance with construction industry arbitration rules. So this is laying out the rules as well as who's going to be um the judge or the overseer of the uh, the dispute um, hearing, and uh, the demand for arbitration should be made in writing and delivered to the other party, and then filed with the person or entity administering the arbitration. So everybody is notified of of the intent to arbitrate. Um, the arbitration, the demand for arbitration shall be made no earlier than concurrently with the filing of a request for mediation. So you cannot jump to arbitration before you've filed a request for mediation, this is saying. You can file for them both at the same time to get the arbitration ball rolling. It may take a little time to get that organized, but, um, but mediation must be filed for at least uh, simultaneously, um, if not before arbitration. Um, that's what 8.3.1.1 is stating. Um, um, let's see what these other ones are saying. Uh, 8.3.2, um, basically saying it, sh it shall be enforceable with any laws that may, um, uh, may apply based on the jurisdiction where this is taking place. And finally, the award rendered by the ar uh, arbitrator um, is final and and the judgment may be entered upon in accordance with any applicable laws thereof. 
So let me go in and explain then the potential pitfalls of arbitration. Basically, since um, the costs are split, I'm just rereading here to make sure that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, the person with more money can can basically find an arbitrator that will um, see things a bit more fav favorably in in their direction. And since they have more money, they're able to compensate that person as such. Now, I think you can see that um, paying your arbitrator has a potential conflict of interest for them, although the costs are split. But if someone goes out and specifically finds an arbitrator that is more uh, sympathetic to their side, then that can be a problem. Um, usually arbitration is, again, a three judge panel or five some odd number so that there would never be an even split um, and you typically want more than one so that uh, it, it kind of levels levels the playing field a bit obviously those things become more expensive but um, in the end it, that may be worth it so that is arbitration the next part here is consolidation or joinder. Either party at its sole discretion may consolidate an arbitration conducted under this agreement with any other arbitration to which the party has provided this agreement, um, yada, yada, yada. Um, either party at sole discretion may include by joinder persons entities substantially involved so this is saying that they can combine other arbitration agreements related to um related to each other into a one uh one arbitration so you don't have to separately arbitrate all of all of the issues if there's more than one um again 8.4 this is stating that the um arbitration and um, and our, all of Article 8 shall also uh, survive the termination of this agreement. That will conclude Article 8, which is the uh, claims and dispute sections. And obviously, this section is about how to resolve claims and disputes. Um, I, I mean, You'll you'll want to try to um, avoid these, obviously, before it gets to this point, but at least it's laid out and everyone knows what to expect if there is an issue later on. Let's move on to Article 8, which is Claims and Disputes. So um, if there arises a dispute between the owner and the architect, who then acts as the uh, initial decision maker? Um, and no, it is not the contractor. Um, basically, uh, the contractor is not held to a, a professional um, 
standard of care that an architect is in order to maintain their license. And so they are not um, as trusted an entity as an architect. That's uh, the basic understanding that I have of it. Um, but of course, uh, it could exist a, a little bit differently. Also, I don't think you want the contractor who may have an adversarial uh, relationship with you to reside over your um, dispute with the owner and the architect because they could um, take it out on you. Um, not that they would, but there is uh, potentially a conflict of interest there. Um, and this also gets into the um, statute of limitation that may be limited within your jurisdiction. Typically your state will have a uh, um, statute of limitation. Otherwise, this contract attempts to limit it to no more than 10 years after substantial completion. Can a claim arise um, from, from work that you've done? Um, 8.1.2 to the extent damages are covered by property insurance owner and architect waive all rights against each other, contractors, etc. Um, uh, so that's basically saying that if property insurance would pay for any damages, then the owner and architect will not sue each other um, in order to try and uh, cover um, basically double double dipping for property damage where the insurance company would cover the damage um, you're, the owner and architect are not allowed to sue again to try and uh, recover additional money um, because the insurance should cover it all 8.1.3 uh, the owner and architect waive consequential damages for claims disputes matters in question arising uh, out of or relating to this agreement, this mutual waiver is applicable without limitation to all consequential damages. So this is saying that uh, damages that are consequential or semi-related to um, the work are hereby waived mutually between the owner and architect. Um, those, those may be um, uh, lost revenue from opening late um, or construction duration taking too long may be a consequential damage. Um, you know, something that is not directly related to, but, but potentially tangential to the, um, to the damages or, uh, or claims or, or whatever it is. Um, and this is mutually waiving those damages uh, of the architect and the owner. Okay, so the next the next couple of sections, um, you kind of get to choose choose your own path here, and I'll try and um, explain explain what I can as far as the um, benefits and potential shortfalls of each of these. First one being mediation is listed as eight point two. Um, this is is a condition before a binding resolution is made 
This is basically informal discussions between the owner and architect to try and resolve these claims before escalating to something else. Um, and unless both parties agree otherwise, this is the first step the AIA suggests. And, um, you know, it is, it is good to keep it in there um, just to make you and the owner sit down and try and talk out the problem before it simply jumps to expensive litigation or potentially lopsided arbitration, which we'll talk about that next. Um, it does state here that parties shall share mediators fees if a professional mediator is, is hired um, and it, uh, the mediation will be held where the project is located. So if you're doing a project um, in another state or another country, um, this contract I don't think will work outside the country, but if you're doing it in, in another state, keep this in mind and you may want to modify this in your contract, but understand it for the ARE that the mediation is to be held where the project is located unless another location is agreed upon. Um, agreements reached in mediation shall be enforceable, uh, enforceable as settlement agreements in any court having jurisdiction thereof. So this is trying to make it binding, but um, as far as my legal team advises, it is not necessarily binding um, as much as an arbitration or obviously litigation might be. So 8.2.4 is also stating that if the parties do not resolve a dispute in mediation, then um, the dispute resolution will escalate to one of the following. Um, and then it gives you three checkboxes. Either it can go to arbitration, which we'll talk to about that next, or litigation. Litigation is um, going to court um, or going to, um, you know, three three judges or or whatever uh the state's um jurisdictional um requirements are for litigation of construction defect law so um or or it gives you other uh i'm, un I'm unclear what other might be um I've, I've never had to use that but again it says to specify what what that would be if if there's something else um, all right, let's talk about arbitration, 8.3. If parties have selected arbitration, um, then they will share the cost of an arbitrator um, and it will be administered by the American Arbitration Association um, in accordance with construction industry arbitration rules. So this is laying out the rules as well as who's going to be um the judge or the overseer of the, uh, the dispute um, hearing. And uh, the demand for arbitration should be made in writing and delivered to the other party and then filed with the person or entity administering the arbitration. So everybody is notified of, of the intent to arbitrate. Um, the arbitration, the demand for arbitration shall be made no earlier than concurrently with the filing of a request for mediation. So you cannot jump to arbitration 
before you've filed a request for mediation, this is saying, you can file for them both at the same time to get the arbitration ball rolling. It may take a little time to get that organized, but um, but mediation must be filed for at least uh, simultaneously, um, if not before arbitration. Um, that's what 8.3.1.1 is stating. Um, um, let's see what these other ones are saying. Uh, 8.3.2, um, basically saying it, sh it shall be enforceable with any laws that may, um, uh, may apply based on the jurisdiction where this is taking place. And finally, the award rendered by the ar uh, arbitrator um, is final and, and the judgment may be entered upon in accordance with any applicable laws thereof. So let me go in and explain then the potential pitfalls of arbitration. Basically, since um, the costs are split, I'm just rereading here to make sure that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, the person with more money can can basically find an arbitrator that will um, see things a bit more fav favorably in in their direction. And since they have more money, they're able to compensate that person as such. Now, I think you can see that um, paying your arbitrator has a potential conflict of interest for them, although the costs are split. But if someone goes out and specifically finds an arbitrator that is more uh, sympathetic to their side, then that can be a problem. Um, usually arbitration is, again, a three judge panel or five some odd number so that there would never be an even split um, and you typically want more than one so that uh, it, it kind of levels levels the playing field a bit obviously those things become more expensive but um, in the end it, that may be worth it so that is arbitration the next part here is consolidation or joinder either party at its sole discretion may consolidate an arbitration conducted under this agreement with any other arbitration to which the party has provided this agreement um yada 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 um either party at sole discretion may include by joinder persons entities substantially involved. So this is saying that they can combine other arbitration agreements related to um, related to each other into a one uh, one arbitration. So you don't have to separately arbitrate all of all of the issues if there's more than one. Um, again 8.4 this is stating that the um, arbitration, and um, and all, all of Article 8 shall also uh, survive the termination of this agreement. That will conclude Article 8. 
which is the uh, claims and dispute sections. And obviously this section is about how to resolve claims and disputes. Um, I, I mean, you'll, you'll want to try to um, avoid these obviously before it gets to this point, but at least it's laid out and everyone knows what to expect if there is an issue later on.